calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hi, this is Fred Greenhalgh, and welcome back to our special mini-series, A Journey with Strange Bedfellows, presented for you here on The Dark Tome. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows melds together six lesser-known, immortal short stories with timeless, relevant themes, originally penned by strange literary masters Nathaniel Hawthorne, Bram Stoker, Jack London, Jerome K. Jerome, Wilkie Collins, and Hector H. Saki Munro. This audio version is the original incarnation of the project, but it's also available as a graphic novel with an educational guide that aligns the graphic novel incarnation and the audio version based in STEAM, S-T-E-A-M, core curriculum. Together, they offer a listen, look, learn experience for public, private, and homeschool programs, both secular and non-secular, and includes activities for accommodated students. Learn more about this project, the Steampunk STEAM program, and access those materials at a-strange-journey.com. And now to our story. Previously, after Hunter Brown's friend was murdered in Paris, Hunter has headed east by horse-drawn coach on his quest to find his true love, Faith Geibel. Weaponless, carrying only a bag of spiced ale, cheese, and bread, he now finds himself within a strange Hungarian forest seemingly devoid of life, while in the presence of a mysterious cleric who has gone to speak with a weird old woman hidden beneath a hooded cloak. I walked slowly on so as not to eavesdrop upon the cleric's conversation with the old woman. I halted when I heard her say, Devil! Then you recognize your old friend, Goody Cloyce. Is it truly your worship? Why do you walk? My broomstick was stolen by an old unhanged witch. It had been anointed with juice of smallage, sinkfoil, and wolf's bane. Mingled with fine wheat and the fat of a newborn babe. Your worship knows the recipe. It was such a loss. Having no horse, I made up my mind to foot it. They say there will be also a young man taken into communion tonight. If you will lend me your arm, we will be there in a twinkling. <laughs> you heard true. 
I cannot spare my arm this time, but here is my staff. It knows your destination. After a time, I saw the cleric lay his staff at her feet, then walked toward me along the path. I glimpsed the woman's face as she bent to retrieve the staff. It was that of an old woman who had once taught me my catechism. But how could that be? Then the cleric's body blocked my view. The low light of this dense wood was playing tricks on my eyes. Come along. When I turned to look for the old woman, she was nowhere to be seen. In her place, there were remnants of a sooty vapor that dispersed without note. She needed a bit of help along her way. I loaned her my staff. Of course. I didn't question what I had seen. If this mystic vanished an old woman, he could certainly do the same to me. It was parlor tricks and magician's foolery, I told myself. As we continued on the path, the mystic plucked up a maple sapling that was moist with dew. The moment his fingers touched its twig branches and leaves, they withered and died. In a short time, it took the form of a finished walking staff, similar to his original. That was too much for me. I stopped and sat upon a stump. Enough of this, sir. I can't proceed. What I've seen causes me grave discomfort. You will think better of this by and by. Rest until you feel like moving again. My staff will help you along. <clears throat> he tossed his staff toward me. No, I... Oh! I had avoided the staff's touch. No sooner had it struck the ground near my feet than the cleric vanished. A sprite soot from a dying ember. What devilry is this? What black magic? The cleric caused me to question my sanity. I felt relief in solitude. Fearful, I tested the staff with my foot, pushed it. It seemed harmless. Such a staff might make a convenient weapon. With the strange cleric gone, I thought better than to leave the stick for some other to use upon me. With caution, I picked up the staff. In tapping it against a tree, I felt nothing unexpected. What? Be you a fiend? Who goes there? Speak! No answer came. But the staff had provided me courage. I cautiously continued on the path. My experience with one stranger invigorated my step. I would assuredly be wary of others. Had I thought to examine the tree that had contact with that demonic stick, I would have seen the blackened ooze that seeped from its bark. I might have noticed the plant life that wilted beneath my step, but my naivety or unyielding denial blinded me to the witchery. When the path intersected a provincial road, the diminishing weather provided me no sure reference of the time of day. It may have been late afternoon, but the approaching storm was bringing evening prematurely. Surely the village could not be far. Upon hearing the approach of two horsemen, I hid within a thicket. They conversed, and as one would expect, their language was foreign to me. 
but as they drew near, the staff vibrated, and the rider's words became clear, as if they were speaking English. The first word I understood startled me. Faith! Aye, the true faith must be served without question, without hesitancy. The gathering will prove that. It will impress this young woman to freely accept and receive communion this night. Spur up, or we shall be late. We ride! Fear prevented my asking the distance to Elvisette, or if I was headed in the right direction. I had rather err to safety than expose myself to possible harm, or more mystery, or witchcraft. The road was well worn, so it would surely lead me to some known end. The day was quickly ending. The early stars I had glimpsed were now occluded by black clouds. Darkness was hastened by the winds preceding the storm. With the wind's shift, I suddenly heard distant voices, familiar tones. Then a voice. Please, I beg mercy in the name of all that is good and holy. Faith! <coughs> My ears so desired to hear her voice. My mind conducted the wind to make it so. There came a pink ribbon upon the wind to be caught high upon a tree branch. Using the staff, I retrieved it. Faith, my God, it is you. You are here. But where? There is no good on earth, and sin is but a name. Come, devil, for to thee is this world given. And soon I heard more voices that seemed to mock me. The wind broke free a tree limb that lashed my forehead. Ah! Gash bled into my eyes. My hand became bloody with the effort to clear it. Through my pain and blurred vision, I, I saw a flicker of light deep in the woods. I veered from the road toward it. I used the staff to fend off low branches and thorn brambles that tore at my body. Voices sang an unholy, maddening chorus. Think not to frighten me with your deviltry. Come, witch, come, wizard, come, devil himself. You may as well fear me as I fear you. I shut tight my eyes and covered my ears to muffle the deafening noise. Confused and disoriented, I fell hard to my knees. My God! Standing, I found myself in a clearing with the light's source before me. A crude rock altar sat among dense leafy brush, surrounded by four pine trunks whose tops were aflame. Their trunk stems were as gigantic candles. The brush around the altar exploded with fire and caused me to plummet back and onto the ground. From all around, a dark clad crowd emerged from the woods. They were a varied multitude, from ancient maidens to wives and husbands, people of high station, along with those of dubious character. They were a familiar assemblage, from church elders, goodly people, dewy virgins, men with dissolute lives, and women of ill repute. Wretches, those guilty of horrid crimes, sinners all, 
they sang a hymn that was as holy as it was ungodly. The good shrank not from the wicked, nor were sinners abashed by the saints. They were Satan's proselytes, cohorts, and partners. The tree's flames heightened to reveal visages of horror in smoke wreaths above the impious assembly, manifesting all the congregate's sins. The altar's flame formed a fiery arch, and a figure appeared. Bring forth the converts! I was seized and dragged forward. From within the crowd, Goody Cloyes guided forth the veiled young woman whose head was heavy, body limp. Welcome, my children, to the communion of your race. Well, Lord! As the cleric spoke, the young woman was laying upon the altar. Ye have found these youth your destiny. Communion candidates behold those you deemed holier than yourselves when in your youth, and shrank ye from your own sin contrasting it with their lives of righteousness and prayerful aspirations heavenward. Yet here are they in my assembly. This night it shall be granted to you knowledge of their secret deeds. How hoary bearded church elders whispered wanton words to young maids. How women eager for widows' tweeds gave their husbands a drink to sleep their last sleep. How beardless youths made haste to inherit their father's wealth, and how fair damsels have dug little graves and bidden me the sole guest to attend an infant's funeral. Sin ye shall, whether in church bedchamber, field, or forest where crime has been committed. One stain of guilt, one mighty blood spot. It is yours to penetrate the deep mystery of sin, the fountain of all wicked arts. My children, look upon each other. Goody Cloys lifted the woman's veil. It was my sweet faith. She was intoxicated, spellbound. Her eyes could not focus, nor did they recognize me. He could not know the grave reality of this night. Lo, there ye stand, my children, depending upon one another's hearts. Ye had still hope that virtue were not all a dream. Now are ye undeceived. Evil is the nature of mankind, and must be your only happiness. Welcome, my children, the communion of your race. Welcome! A portion of the altar's surface opened to reveal a basin holding blood into which the cleric dipped his hands. The cleric became known to me the true Satan, who meant to baptize both my beloved and me into his loathsome flock. He approached Faith and opened her robe to expose her body for appointment. With bloody hands, 
painted her nakedness and positioned himself to take her innocence. Faith struggled not, but gazed at me, smiling with sweet innocence. I strained to free myself, but my escorts held tight. Faith, Faith, look to heaven! Resist the wicked one, resist! I looked to the stormy heavens above. My God, I implore you, stop this! All was gone, as if it had never been. I stood alone as gentle rain washed from me every remnant of that horror. I was at the edge of a quaint Hungarian village. The torch-lighted sign read, El Vizet Faluba. Soaked through, I shivered in the early evening. Revelry came from a tavern whose sign read, Urdog Hazar. My coach awaited nearby. I surmised I had had a walking hallucination imparted by the bitter herb ale. I must have become intoxicated and somehow stumbled through the day as though it were night. The tavern promised safe shelter and companions. I would ponder no more my nightmarish walk through the woods. My abrupt entry prompted the tavern crowd to silence groggy, feverish. The revelers were celebrating Walpurgisnacht, and my driver stood among them. But what was this? They, all of them were familiar. They were those who stood earlier in the clearing at Satan's altar. What is this place? Ordoghaza, the devil's house. The room fell away as I collapsed. My head hit hard and I heard the cleric once again. Faith eternal lies beyond innocence. Embrace perpetual darkness for life everlasting. And I went unconscious. Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. I awoke within the coach beneath several blankets. My forehead had been bandaged, but the pain persisted. The coach's motion caused me to retch, and a sudden jolt caused me to thrust my head from a window. I vomited vile into a seemingly bottomless ravine below the edge of a narrow mountain road, a sheer crevasse that extended hundreds of meters downward into profound nothingness. The coach wheels ran dangerously close to the crumbling edge. Rocks gave way, causing the coach to slip. The horse's whinnies signaled uncertainty. Stopping would risk disaster. I pulled myself to the far side of the coach and saw the ale bag resting upon the opposing seat. The devil's staff was 
propped in the corner. I hurled both through the window, praying they returned to hell from whence they'd come. I lay down in an attempt to sleep through my pain and sickness. I retrieved Faith's hair ribbon, wondering if it still held her perfume. Yes, it was still as sweet. But wait, the ribbon felt where there had been one, there were now two. I convinced myself to accept the only possible logic. By some accident, it had been torn in two. How clumsy of me to have permitted damage to something so precious. I quickly tied the pieces together and pushed the ribbon back into my pocket. I had had more than enough adventure for a lifetime, real or imagined, and sorely yearned for sleep and peace. But alas, that was not to be. When the coach came to a stop, I awoke and found I had lost my sense of time. If I had slept for hours or days, I was uncertain. It was sunset when we arrived at the road to Oradia Castle. I exited the coach. In the distance was an immense fortification with Gothic-style architecture, magnificent and hauntingly intimidating. The surrounds abound with high walls intended to protect or conceal age-old secrets. Faith had been taken from here by old Geibel, that she might see the world was full of life. As I exercised my legs, a dog yelped, and the wind shifted, causing the horse's nostrils to flare. They had caught an acrid scent that came to me soon enough, and the horses became restless. Seeing a stack of rocks, a crude grave marker, near the road's intersection, the driver crossed himself as he dismounted and quickly took hold of the horses' bridles to calm them. Tata, Fiu, Du, Swunt, Maike, Dui, Donese. He led the horses forward on foot. Realizing his intent, I took one of the bridles and walked as well. I smelled stronger the odor that had disturbed the horses. It was the stench of decaying flesh. Why did you cross yourself? Buried here is a person who take his own life. Most unworthy place. Un lokra, lokra. He explained that one who killed himself is buried at a crossroad to give the soul more than one way to salvation. I wondered what road we might be on. As we walked farther, we passed ruins of what had once been a village. As the wind moved through boards and stones, the horses became skittish. Tatal Fiuro, Duhul Svant, Mother of God. What is this place? Unluk Forate Raul M. You would say evil place. Most evil place. Von Merte. We must go. The evil that caused people to abandon a village 
was that which accompanied the plague. Such ruins remained across Europe, testimony to horrific death. Once past the village, the horses settled, so I boarded the coach. I wanted to avoid the perils of night travel. Urge the horses! Tatal, Fiul, Devulzmont, Mayukai, Louis, Dumnezeu! I understood my driver beyond his words and agreed. This estate felt unholy and evil, as did its caretakers. The door was opened by a brutish manservant, capable of producing only guttural tones. This must have been the mute described by Maiton Kit, who had taken Faith away. He had notable strength and pushed me back, indicating I should go away. Wait, sir. I've come for... Wait! No, look here. You don't understand. I'm here for Faith. Faith Geibel. Please, my name is Hunter Brown. She knows me. Please. Again, the servant opened the door, but he stepped aside to permit an exceedingly pale, seriously stern mistress caretaker to confront me. Look here, I... Herr Brown, we received the word of your arrival only two days ago, permitting us no time to turn you away. I assure you, I I can assure the master of this estate. I've come with only the best intention. The estate has no master to whom you may speak. We can permit you a night's rest. Expect no more. Hardly the welcome I had hoped for. My bag and I were taken to a bedroom. The bed was standard, no canopy to my relief. Herr Brown, I cannot be more clear. You are not welcome nor wanted here. Having prepared to thank these people for their hospitality, I hadn't planned for immediate expulsion. At the gate, I smelled rotting flesh and may have heard a wolf cry. Has there been recent loss of livestock? The estate has no livestock, nor are there wolves. You would leave here once your horses and driver have rested. Understood? Once I'm certain that Faith is not here, yes, I will be content to leave. You will leave by morning after next. She left, shutting and locking the door behind. The windows had been permanently shuttered for some time. Was it to keep out the cold or to keep the living from leaving? If I was allowed out of the room, I would have only a day and a night to search for faith. But I needed a few hours of restful sleep, if the fates allowed. I was wakened early morning when I heard a key inserted and my door unlocked. Who's there? I checked the hallway. No one. I heard no footsteps and no key remained in the keyhole. With no time to ponder my liberator's identity, I needed to find Faith. I dressed and took care, leaving my room. I avoided the servants and saw nothing of the mistress caretaker. I explored every corridor and room but found no trace of Faith. Who had been the master of this castle? Ancestral portraits, all female, hinted of a long ancestral bloodline. 
There were strong, familial resemblances among them. One young woman's portrait must have been that of Faith's mother or grandmother, as her features were nearly identical to Faith's. She even wore hair ribbons in a similar fashion. Having exhausted the day exploring the castle's interior, I came upon an exit door that led to the grounds. Adjacent structures remained as ancient ruins from what must have been a catastrophic fire from long ago. Among the debris were wires and glass, metal coils, test tubes and surgical instruments. A high stone wall laden with decades-old vines provided me no obvious access to areas beyond. A treacherous strategy, I used the vines to scale it and was rewarded for the effort. In the distance, I glimpsed Faith. She carried a basket and a lighted lamp. Calling out to her was pointless as she disappeared through a break in another wall. I had to hurry, for with the diminishing daylight, it would be difficult to find my way back into the castle. Curious, I watched Faith approach the stone altar where she set her lantern and began to arrange grapes from her basket. As I approached, I saw the altar held a carved likeness of a Greek god. Faith was distracted by a movement within a thicket, perhaps a rabbit to which she was feeding the grapes. Then from the thicket came... I had no way of knowing that the flute was summoning a magnificent stag that browsed in the forest. Attracted to the flute's song, it paused to listen as it tested the air for danger. Something large, dark and powerful had been lying in wait. It lunged from the underbite and missed, causing the stag to bolt away. An enormous predator followed in laboured pursuit. Prey and predator were now heading for Oradia Castle. After Hunter experienced a strange encounter with Satan's own in what may have been a waking nightmare, he finally arrived at Oradia Castle at the western edge of Romania. Permitted little time by the estate caretakers, he searched for and found Faith. What will Hunter learn about Faith's mysterious past? Will he succeed in his quest to secure true love? What dangers are headed their way? To find out, Join us for the next and final installment of A Journey with Strange Bedfellows. And that was A Journey with Strange Bedfellows, Episode 3. Hunter survived his waking nightmare, yes, but he has a confrontation of true evil standing in front of him. But will the encounter with evil yield him his one true love? Find out next time in the final episode of A Journey with Strange Bedfellows here on The Dark Tome. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows was written by Jan C.J. Jones as adapted from or inspired by the following classic short stories. The Dancing Partner by Jerome K. Jerome. A Wicked Woman by Jack London. The Traveler's Story of a Terribly Strange Bed by Wilkie Collins. Young Goodman Brown by Nathaniel Hawthorne. 
The Music on the Hill by Hector H. Monroe, a.k.a. Saki, and Dracula's Guest by Bram Stoker. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows was directed by Fred Greenhalge of Final Rune Productions, featuring Paul Hodgson as Hunter Brown, Tess Van Horn as Faith, Jenny Wren Walker as Annette, Kat Mararos as Girlfriend, Philip Hobby as Old Geibel, Tony Riley as Francis, Susan Riley as Matron Kit and Hostess, Tim Bates as Driver, J.P. Guimont as Cleric Traveler, Janice Gardner as Witch and Mistress Caretaker, William Dufries as The Narrator, Werewolf, and Mute. Additional voices by the cast. Recorded at The Studio in Portland, Maine with James Kerwood. Mixed by Final Rune Productions and mastered by Mind's Eye Productions. Production assistants Stephen Colby and Kelly M. Jones. Sound design by Eric Mooney. Additional foley and sound design by Adam McGinty. Original score by Peter Van Riet, with Eleanor Price as the pan flute. Also featuring Vampire Waltz by Pavel Krichtalik via Audio Jungle. Additional music acquired and licensed from Music to Hughes. Produced by Forest Rose Productions in association with Final Rune Productions. Copyright 2014 by Forest Rose Productions, LLC. Learn more about this story as well as the oddity and magic of the late 1800s at www.a-strange-journey.com. there. This is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.